We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Will Erskine booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dave Woodard and Jen McQueen. Former Governor General David Johnson is the repertoire who will study to see if another <laughs> repertoire is needed sure. for a real public inquiry into China's election interference. Confused? Do you think that is the hope? Here, Scott Thompson. Repertoire. Repertoire. It's a repertoire. Not to be confused with ratatouille. Or whatever my son said. Uh, good afternoon. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, Wild Will Weber uh, playing the Carrie Underwood because she is 158, number 158 on Rolling Stones, top 200 singers of all time. There you go. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Boy, what another uh, uh, police shooting in Edmonton. We're going to get to that in, in just a, a second and, and just puts a cloud over the whole country. My God, where are we, where are we going? What are we doing? Uh, anyway, uh, we'll chat about that coming up moments from now. Uh, all right. Um, so tons of headlines here today. We'll whip through them for you. Uh, and, uh, the first one locally election day in Hamilton Center. The polls open till 9 p.m. tonight. Election day in Hamilton Center, of course, to replace, uh, Andrew Horbath, who went on to become mayor. And anyone who is eligible to vote in that area, get out and exercise your right. Uh, liberals are, uh, blocking efforts to, uh, in the committee to, to uh, get the chief of staff, uh, Katie Telford, to testify during the election, uh, Chinese election interference allegations. Uh, they've done everything to block that, yet we're supposed to be excited about something that's less than a public inquiry. Uh, David Johnson, of course, the governor general uh, and rapporteur, or new rapporteur, uh, assigned yesterday. Also, this coming out, Denny Fortan suing the prime minister and the federal government for what happened to him during the COVID pandemic ordeal and him being being wrongly accused of a situation and then let go. Uh, here's another one that's that's really concerning. Now we're having evidence as we're talking about election interference and such. Uh, there's now evidence of, a, of Chinese election interference in Vancouver's mayoral race. So this has been hitting uh, federal elections. We know about the MP. Also uh, in conservative writings, we heard it about it provincially here, conservatives, although he's gone now. We've heard nothing more about it and that person is out of the Conservative Party. Not so for the Liberal MP. And now, of course, we're hearing it about, about it on the municipal level in Vancouver. So this is not going away, uh, and we will continue to follow the story. But what everyone is talking about across the country today is uh, two Edmonton police officers shot overnight, uh, called to an apartment complex, uh, a family dispute. Apparently, it appears, and we have very limited information at this point, but we're going to talk to uh, 6.30. Chad, Global News Radio out in Edmonton coming up in just a sec. Um, but shot before even entering the suite, it sounds like. Uh, they did not have a chance, did not draw their weapons, uh, shot uh, the two officers, and then it is uh, thought, alleged, uh, the suspect then uh, shot himself. He is now dead. Uh, and the partner of the shooter also shot and in hospital. Um, and that's sort of really all what we got out of the news conference. Here's Global News, uh, Kendra Sog uh, Sogloski for more on this. 
and one of those buildings is uh, taped off with police tape. We are not able to get any closer police keeping uh, people back, but uh, people waking up from their apartment buildings, uh, heading out for work and school are are shocked to see this police presence and now uh, absolutely devastated to hear that two officers were killed while doing their job. All right. And uh, earlier on today, it was 10 o'clock their time, I believe, uh, noon ours in thereabouts that the Edmonton police chief uh, came forward and gave a brief news conference and did not take questions uh, from reporters. But here's a sample of what the Edmonton police chief had to say. Upon arrival, the two patrol members went inside the building, approached the suite and were shot by a male subject. At this time, all indications are they did not have a chance to discharge their firearms. The two members were rushed to the hospital by our own members who worked valiantly to save their lives en route. Unfortunately, they are both declared deceased at the hospital. The two members were rushed to the hospital by our own members who worked valiantly to save their lives on route. Unfortunately, they are both declared deceased at the hospital. The young male subject is also deceased, believed to be from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. A female complainant related to the subject was also taken to hospital with life-threatening injuries where she remains in serious but stable condition. All right, so the uh, Edmonton uh, police chief went on to thank uh, all the people of Edmonton who have offered their support. It's coming internationally, really, around the world for the loss of these two officers. And, uh, of course, now, can you imagine the police uh, and EMS and and fire, all those that were there, and uh, trying to help? And and it's one of their colleagues that that, that, are two of their colleagues that have been literally murdered. I mean, this is just, just another ambush when you think about it. It. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, this last year or so, we have seen way too much of this, whether it's in Ontario or in other parts of the country. And coming up moments from now, we're going to talk to Eileen Bell, news manager for 630 Chad Global News Radio in Edmonton, and get an update on all of this coming up. Unfortunately, this adds just to a string of uh, police shootings, it seems we have seen all too often in the last little while. Obviously, we were just to- telling you earlier uh, what has happened for an update on all of this, let's bring in Eileen Bell, news manager for 630 Chad, Global News Radio 880, and is with us now. Eileen, thank you for the time. I hope you're well, as can be expected, I guess. It's certainly been a not the day I expected. It's been a very sad day here, and it's uh, been a very long day already. We know that uh, the police chief held a news conference earlier this morning, didn't take questions, limited amount of information. What is the latest? What can you tell us? Well... Condolences keep pouring in um, from Calgary, from Beaumont, from uh, the Prime Minister earlier this morning. We're hearing um, that, for instance, the Edmonton Police Commission has turned down uh, interviews. Uh, They've decided they're going to rally basically around the chief's statement from earlier today, which was mostly besides the facts of what happened, which were um, that uh, Constable Brett Ryan, just 30 years old, Constable Travis Jordan, 35 years old, uh, were responding to a domestic call at an apartment in West Edmonton. Uh, it was about a quarter to one this morning, and um, 
when they got there, they were shot. All indications were they didn't even have a chance to to pull out their weapons or dis- discharge them at all. Um, police are saying only that it was a young male suspect. Uh, there was also a woman in the suite who had been um, taken with serious injuries. She's in hospital. She's apparently in stable condition, but um, it's just, it was almost described as an ambush. When the officers got there, um, they were shot without a chance to, to defend themselves. Then other officers arrived at the scene, and they were the ones that had to rush these first two officers to hospital. Uh, they tried to do everything they could, but um, as, as you know, uh, these these two men who had been with the police force five and a half and eight and a half years uh, passed away, and um, we have our flags at half mast at the the police headquarters and the provincial buildings, and it's just uh, been a very alarming thing. This is these are the sixth and seventh police officers in Canada mm. to die in the line of duty this year. And our condolences to everybody in Edmonton, everybody involved in this in, in any way, because obviously this is horrific for a great city like Edmonton or any city for that matter to go through, and especially in, in smaller cities and such where the communities are, are, are so tight-knit. Um, do we know anything as far as um, the shooter or uh, they, you said that this was uh, this person that was other person that was in hospital was a complainant? Did they live together? Do we know any of that? Were they partners? They, I'm fairly sure we can say that they weren't partners. Um, police um, are not releasing or confirming any of the details. From sources we have, we believe that um, the shooter was a very young man and the woman uh, involved was a little older than that, but enough older that we doubt that it was a, a romantic relationship. Okay, uh, you use the word ambush. And it is believed that they're both from the same, both from the same apartment. Okay, but no uh, clue as to whether they might be family members, siblings, what have you. We're hearing that they they are family members, but uh, not siblings. Okay. I, I can't. I really can't. No, say I understand. No, I, I understand. Yeah. I understand. Yep. Um, yeah. So uh, you use the word ambush, which is something. A question. The next question I was going to ask was, it, that's what it appeared like. It's not often police go into what they think is going to be a, a emergency situation, and they're not prepared. I mean, it's like one of the other uh, shootings that we saw, or well, a couple of shootings that we've seen earlier that you had mentioned, uh, where the officers didn't even have time to react. Um, it, it sounds as if. As you said, this was an ambush that they met outside the suite? I think they actually came into the suite. Um, okay. We know what happened inside the building. We know that um, the person with the gun uh, turned the gun on himself uh, mm-hmm. so, and fatally uh, wounded himself. Um, it's a... It's an alarming thing, and, and because of um, family relationships, we can't really be more specific than that. I'm not yeah. trying to be evasive. No, I, but, I um, completely understand. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we've heard from, like, the police commission canceled their meeting today. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers put out a statement. They're going to be doing something uh, in tribute to Constable Ryan and Constable Jordan during uh, tonight's game uh, at Rogers Place. Uh, it's so fast for these uh, these tributes to come down, but everyone just feels totally caught off guard. There was another shooting not far from this location on the weekend. There was, or the weekend before last, um, a person, uh, we couldn't even really 
other than gender, sure it was male, went into a pizza hut, just went in, saw an employee there. It was about a quarter to one in the morning. They were about to shut down and shot that employee um, who is still in hospital. But if they're related, we have no reason to think that other than the, the proximity of it. Um, there is pe- There are people that we've talked to in the apartment complex who are definitely saying they, they want to move. Like some of them even want to move out of town because the number of violent mm-hmm. incidents that have been happening with guns in Edmonton recently, it's uh, just it's just tragic and police are asking basically for some breathing room like not to um, get to them and to just to give all officers some space right now and to to recognize the the stress that they that they are under any reason to believe at this point Eileen that there there's any danger to the public if these are related is this you know whether it's gang related who knows I'm just speculating at this point but are they do police they feel are only that saying sorry police are only saying that uh, there is no danger, obviously, from right. um, the circumstances around this this incident with the two police officers right. at this point because of the uh, the gunman taking his own life. And any word of a future news conference or anything of that nature, a word from officials? Uh, no, the, the next uh, probably um, uh, thing we'll hear from police are funeral and procession details. Uh, and they're saying that that'll mm. be a few days away, but... I think as more people press on what the relationship was um, between uh, this young man and, and the woman who was there, uh, that those facts will be clarified more. Um, it was just such a, a shocking thing. There was there was a thread about it on Reddit at about four our time this morning, and we started chasing it. Then uh, Global TV sent out cameras and confirmed that there was a huge police presence there. Um, most of the details were spelled out um, in an original uh, thread that we, we had seen. And then we each are, had our own private police sources that contacted us here in the newsroom. And, and all the stories were, were lining up pretty closely to each other. But, of course, we needed to get that confirmed before we could go any farther and say that. So we were, for the first hour or so, just saying there had been a, a an incident at these mm. Baywood apartments. And then we were able to come in and say we could tell them that two officers had, had been killed. Eileen Bell with us, news manager for 630 Chad, Global News Radio 880 up in Alberta. And Eileen, once again, our condolences to everybody. This must be shocking for the whole city. And uh, good luck. Be well. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time today. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Play in the 80s because it's the first time since 1987 CDs CDs are being outsold by vinyl. Now you think about that, it's like statistically that's a big deal. Oh, I, I, gee, I never thought of that. And then you think about it and think, well, of course, because nobody's buying CDs anymore. They've all gone online. They're streaming. They're doing other things. And the vinyl is now left for the, the nostalgist. Is that a word? Is that the reason? Or is vinyl growing in leaps and bounds? Alan Cross with us, host of the ongoing history of new music and old enough to remember this the first time around. Alan, I uh, hope you're doing well. And uh, and what are your thoughts here? Is this about uh, vinyl really taking off or just that CDs, uh, their days gone anyway? Well, we have to look at it very carefully because CDs are less expensive than vinyl. So if you look at the mm. raw numbers, what they're what you're actually seeing 
is that uh, we're spending more money on vinyl than we mm. are on CDs. And that's, I think that's what they, they mean when they say that, C, uh, that vinyl has outsold. Not in terms of numbers, right. but in terms of the amount of money that's coming in. If uh, I, I look at all the numbers every single week, and uh, I can tell you that CDs still outsell in terms of sheer numbers, uh, vinyl by the by a count of about two to one in Canada. Uh, so it's not sheer numbers; it's revenue. And what are the CD numbers that high still? Are people still buying a lot of those? Yeah, uh, believe it or not, they they are. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I can tell you that uh, the numbers are dropping for CDs, yeah. but they haven't dropped to the point where vinyl is outselling them now in terms of, of, uh, of a number of units. People still buy CDs. You can still go and, and get them online. You can get them in stores. You can get them mm-hmm. from, uh, you know, the merch table at a, at a show. Yeah. Uh, and they're not going away just yet. They're going to be around for, for a while. It's just that we're readjusting the way that we're consuming our music. And vinyl right now seems to be very, very healthy. Um, Canadians last year had a bit of a pause in the uh, in the increase in vinyl sales uh, because uh, probably because we were suffering from supply chain issues. We were suffering from back orders and mm. uh, insanely high prices. I don't know if you've been into a record store to see how much a, a single vinyl record costs yeah, these days. Yeah. But if you can get if you can get out of the store for uh, with buying a, a single piece of vinyl for under thirty dollars, you're doing well. Uh, look at CDs, you know, you get one for eleven ninety nine. So uh, I was just about to ask about the price point. Is that simply because of uh, one's more mass produced than the other? You said the price is more obviously for, for vinyl than it is uh, for a CD. Uh, and how do you compare the price of vinyl now compared to what it was when vinyl was, was the thing? Uh, obvi- and again, is that just number of units being able to be produced? Yeah, I think so. I mean... There, there, there was a problem a couple of years ago with a plant in uh, California, one of the one of only two plants in the entire world that made these things called master lacquer plates, and it was completely taken out of production. It was resp- responsible for about eighty percent of all the master lacquer plates that were used in the recorded music industry. If you take out, and you can't press records without these yeah. lacquer plates. So that sent everything into a tailspin into for uh, you know supply chain issues and, and everything else. Another thing that happened is that during the pandemic, we all started using Skip the Dishes and DoorDash and Uber Eats and all the rest of it. Remember how often you would get a plastic food container, that black plastic food container? Mm, mm, that, was made of, that was made of polyvinyl chloride, the same substance that we use to make records. So there are some people in the supply chain that say, well, we had to divert a lot of the raw material for vinyl to the industries that created takeout containers for restaurants because of the pandemic. So that drove up the price. And then there was the fact that there are not as many uh, pressing plants online as there are CD pressing plants. And and I I think, I don't want to, well, it may take a little bit longer to press a vinyl record than it does to press a CD. Uh, but anyway, th- whatever the case, there were fewer plants producing vinyl than there were plants, or at least the capacity of the plants that were producing CDs. So all these things added up. I, I remember going into, uh, I guess it was a Sunrise Records location, 
and there was a Tragically Hip album. It was my music at work, and it was $72. Wow. Yeah. So that, that'll tell you exactly uh, the, the uh, disparity, the discrepancy between the price of a CD and the price of a piece of vinyl. Alan, I got 25 Rock Revival greats from the Woolco for three ninety nine. dollars K-Tel bad. Uh, you know, okay, so maybe it wasn't the greatest recording and they were shortened a little bit, but boy, the price per tune per dollar was worth it. It was really good, except the quality of those records was really, really crappy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, we were just talking to Tom Wilson uh, here, and Junk House, their uh, album is being re-released. Uh, uh, is be re- being re-released for uh, International Record Day, I guess, coming up in April, and that wasn't even pressed on vinyl initially. No, uh, yeah, Record Store Day. Uh, so Junk House would have come out in the time when you really wanted to. Uh, if you wanted something on vinyl, you really, 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 really had to work for it. Yeah. Now it is for something like Record Store Day, you got to do something on vinyl. That's the only thing that that really, really sells. And I'm going to imagine, knowing Tom, that this will be a record on one hundred one hundred eighty gram vinyl, and the vinyl will be virgin vinyl, which means it wasn't recycled in any way. So that record will sound fantastic. That was the next question, Al. And so let's take the last year that vinyl was produced, whether it's mid-80s, whatever, the best of the best band, the best recording, the best whatever. How does that stack up to what you're buying for 30 bucks now? Well, you're buying much better vinyl now. If you are old enough, you remember the early 80s when CDs first came out. We could not wait to get rid of vinyl for a number of reasons. Yeah, first yeah. of all, they were uh, it all really went back to the oil crisis of the 1970s when Petroleum byproducts shot up in price, so records were made thinner. They became, you know, flappier. They uh, they 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 scratched easier. They had lots of dust and dirt problems and cracks and popples. And one of the things that uh, led to that was the fact that they were using recycled vinyl. They would take old records, melt it down, and just repress mm-hmm. these records. And those records had all kinds of impurities in them, which resulted in terrible audio. So when the CD started showing up in stores, uh, actually, you know what? It would be 40 years ago this month mm. that uh, we could not wait to get rid of them because the quality was horrible. The noise, the surface yeah. noise, and the rumble was horrible. So good riddance to vinyl. Until we get to somewhere around 2008 when a bunch of people in Baltimore who own record stores decided that they were going to have this thing called Record Store Day, which would emulate comic book store day which had been very successful and ever since 2008 record labels have jumped on board every april third saturday in april we get uh, all these new limited edition releases people spend a whole day going from record store to record store and you know don't get me wrong uh alan because i love that i had a great record collection the milk crates all that sort of stuff but like you said when cds came around man the sound was amazing and people were you know when when vinyl came back out oh what's the romance of the vinyl listen to that it doesn't have that synthetic sound it doesn't have it has more of that soft and that's that's turntable rumble that's distortion so it's again are the new records that much better or is it you know we're willing to put up with that considering we listen to sound on little wee speakers anyway and it's worth it to have at the the collection well it's when we talk about the audio quality it's really hard to say which sounds better because it's so subjective it is possible that vinyl does sound warmer and less harsh but that's because you're listening to an analog signal versus a a digital one yeah Uh, you will never ever ever have a vinyl record that produces bass as well as a cd you just can't physically 
the, the physics of it all just does not allow a vinyl record to produce bass in the same way a, a CD does. Um, but and it all depends on how the record was mastered. If you're taking the source material from the master tapes and you're properly equalizing it and tweaking it for vinyl, it can sound absolutely divine. Uh, but if you take poor source material or if you take any uh, digital material and try to turn it into an analog mm. uh, format, well, you're screwing with everything and it's not going to sound that good. Garbage in, garbage out. Uh, Alan Cross with us, host of the ongoing history of new music, the discussion of vinyl, CDs, and everything, the romance that goes along with it. Uh, man, how many people want to have a beer with you, Alan, and talk about this exact same issue? Thanks so much for the time. Be well. You're very welcome. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CXML. I'm sure you've seen the footage, or soon will, of uh, a Russian jet that's uh, buzzing a U.S. surveillance drone and <laughs> starts dropping gas fuel on it. Uh, and then the history, you know, you don't happen after that. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Jack Cunningham, Ph.D. program coordinator at the Bill Graham Center for Contemporary International History, uh, Trinity College and Monk School, University of Toronto, and with us now. Jack, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am, Scott. Good to be with you. Jack, your thoughts on all of this. Um, uh, you know, we're hearing afterwards that some saying it's not intentional, but just really bad decision making that went wrong. What's your take on this? I don't think it is intentional simply because it is such a reckless thing to do in terms of the pilot's own aircraft and his own life to uh, yeah. flip a drone like that. I mean, this is this is the sort of thing that would happen in a bad Tom Cruise movie. So I find it very hard to believe that uh, there was any authorization from higher up. I think it was uh, a pilot uh, acting uh, acting off his uh, his own uh, his own impulses. Uh, that doesn't mean there isn't danger, but uh, I don't think it was a deliberate attempt at escalation. Uh, you bring up a valid point, Jack, and I thought of this when I when I heard about this. I mean, I'm not I'm certainly no expert in in well, not at all uh, of jet aviation or pilots or such. But if I'm flying one, I don't know if I want to be banging wings with other aircraft in one of those. Uh, not if you're prudent. Yeah. Uh, so uh, at the end of the day, what comes of this? There's lots of drones flying around. There's lots of encounters similar to this. Um, what's the moral of the story? How does this end? I don't think it fundamentally alters what's happening. Now, there is the danger of escalation as long as you have all these drones flying around, even if, as in this case, they're in international airspace over international waters, and thus within the bounds of international law. The problem is, in a crisis, there's always the danger of things escalating unintentionally. I mean, at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, an American air sampling aircraft drifted into Soviet airspace and Soviet interceptors were actually scrambled before it got out. Uh, when President Kennedy heard, he said, there's always some son of a bitch who doesn't get the word. And that's the problem. Mm. Uh, both Biden and Putin are in charge of sprawling military bureaucracies, and there always is some SOB who doesn't get the word. Uh, what uh, what would have happened, this is hypothetical, obviously, if uh, the drone zigged instead of zagged and it took the jet out? Uh, I don't think that would have necessarily been uh, been uh, all that consequential. It would have it would have it would not it would it would certainly not have been an intentional escalation, and the uh, the Biden administration's uh, 
account of events and the video that they've released does indicate that the uh, these these jets were uh, were flying far too close, far too dangerously engaged with the drone. Are these drones armed? We've seen in situations where they are. Was this one? Uh, it it almost certainly was, although its primary function was intelligence gathering. So uh, it could have been nicked and blown up and taken them all out. Could this have not happened? Uh, theoretically, it could have happened. Yes. Um, it, dangerous. Is is there any sort of retaliation for a drone when this sort of thing starts to happen? Does this become aircraft engaging each other? Well, with drone warfare, we're in sort of uncharted uh, area in terms of international law because there isn't a body of jurisprudence really governing what drones can and cannot do. So it would be... Uh, it would be very much uh, a question of uh, what the leaders on each side chose to do, how they chose to interpret any collision. At what point when jets start interfering to drones, with drones, do drones fight back? Because easily, like I said, a zig could be a zag or something could happen to take them all out. When, does, when do we get to that point? Uh, that depends on the guy actually controlling the drone. Fortunately, there is a human element at work here. And that does provide some uh, uh, some some comfort. We do know that the uh, the 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 whoever was in, in control of the drone obviously knew that the uh, the Russian fighters were flying very close. The video was intercepted, and then we've got the uh, we've got the video of both the fuel being dumped and the uh, the propeller being clipped. So there's. Uh, there was obviously somebody uh, knowing what was going on, but fortunately choosing to act with uh, prudence and restraint. So should a drone, last question, be should a, a drone be able to protect itself from this? Uh, I think it should, as, as long as it's engaged uh, in, in operations that are within, uh, within international law and the laws of war. So this drone could have taken the jet out? Uh, I think it could have, but that would politically have been perceived as an escalation. Yeah, and but yet taking the drone down doesn't isn't. Did we lose Jack? Sorry, could you repeat that? Oh, sorry. So, um, you know, the drone shooting at the jet would be considered an act of war, but the jet taking the drone out is not considered an act of war. Uh, it's in uh, it's it's in that area of uh, uncharted jurisprudence. Right. Dr. Jack Cunningham with us, program coordinator, Bill Graham Center for Contemporary International History, Trinity College and Monk School, University of Toronto. Another fascinating conversation, Jack. Thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thank you, Scott. You too. The sold out shows in Canada, the U.S. Get the f off. Get the f off. <laughs> Avril Levine probably thought she'd seen it all, sort of. Of course, you saw, uh, no doubt have seen the clip so far, of uh, Avril Levine uh, trying to present an award, uh, pay tribute, and then all of a sudden, a um, I'm calling her a stripper or a lap dancer because, you know, I remember the streakers. They were on and off, whew, whew, one end of the stage to the other. Protest, you know, they, they're a little bit more uh, aggressive and get their message and not you and fingers and things in the air until the police drag them off and whatever. This person looked like somebody was, you know, you'd, you well, she's up behind Navarro Levine for 30 seconds dancing. Hey, 
So I don't know. I think it was more. Um, I think it's more of a stripper than a streaker. But that's just my opinion. I'm an old fart. Um, but I, what was fascinating is charges are pending on this. Uh, Edmonton police say, and the CBC has interviewed uh, the girl, and uh, she said she was surprised how easy it was to get on stage. She also said she was surprised Avril Lavigne didn't give her the mic. <laughs> That just goes to show you how misguided people are. Like, honestly. So it's a big production. It's a big show. You got a star up there who's trying to present an award to another star. And that's all got to come to an uh, an abrupt end. And Avril's got to give you the mic so you can talk about jumping around and with your boobs flopping everywhere in the pasties. Like, that. we're, we're supposed to do that? That's more important than what they're all doing there anyway how easy hard is it to get on stage we've all been to concerts man as soon as someone gets on stage it's like they get three steps and they get tackled not at the junos because it's great tv i don't know let's bring in lou molinero instructor with the harris institute of music at durham college and durham college rather and of course uh former hamilton based concert promoter this ain't hollywood lou is with us now lou thanks for the time i hope you're well i'm battling a cold Oh no! Well, we hope you get better soon. Thank so you. at least at least keep your top on, Lou. That's the best you you know. You want to stay warm. So again, you've been in this business for a while. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the clip. Are you surprised? A uh, this person got on stage, and B the length of time that they were on stage. I was surprised with the length of time that the, the that lady was on stage. More so with the fact that she got up on stage. I think what you have to remember is an award show versus a concert are two different experiences, mm-hmm. and uh, it was certainly easy for Will Smith to jump up on stage and slap Chris Rock in the face. And I think the same thing applies to people that are in the crowd at an award show. Uh, there aren't any barriers as you find in uh, regular concerts per se. And I think mm-hmm. the aesthetics of uh, what television award shows present uh, to the viewer, they don't want to present it like a regular concert. Like, you know, the staging is different. And yeah. I remember when in 2015, when the Junos were in Hamilton, um, I, I, I was, uh, it, it's kind of funny because I, I was thinking like, you know, the, the one thing that I noticed was that there wasn't much uh, of a barrier. Anyone could really jump up on stage Um and, and I think that's just part of the, the logistics behind uh, presenting an award show rather than a concert. Uh, does that need to be changed? And, and, you know, and you bring up a valid point. I mean, I'm sure if there was lots of security at the Oscars, the security guys, the security guys aren't going to go, oh, no, I think Will Smith's going to go up on stage and slug Chris Rock, so we better get up there. I mean, they would be as stunned as anybody. Right. I do think it needs to be changed. I'm surprised with how very little security uh, there are. And I don't know if it, you know, having security on TV doesn't look good <laughs> uh, mm. because an award show is supposed to be a gala, it's supposed to have some pageantry rather than knowing that you're safe at a concert. So if you're seeing a clip of a concert with a lot of security, then I, I guess that shows uh, a completely different experience. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially after this one. The funny thing is, is how much international credibility the Junos got because of this clip. <laughs> so Lou, uh, you're, you've been a producer. Uh, you would just sit there and go, uh, Oh, I didn't see. I was looking at the water cooler. What the hell happened there? I mean, it's it, great TV. It's great TV. You see, this is the thing that you really have to kind of question yourself rather than, you know, uh, jump at the gun is, yeah. you, you know, it, it brings out uh, a lot of, uh, 
hype to the uh, to the Junos. I don't know if this is really good hype for the Junos, <laughs> but then maybe it kind of lends itself to the fact that we're Canadians. Yeah. You know, that's a valid point. I heard somebody say that, that, you know, uh, any other situation, again, dragged off kicking and streaming goes the naked woman. Whereas this, it was, well, you know, uh, it's just part of the show. I don't know. This is kind of funny, blah, blah, blah. And, and yeah, it just, it, it was truly Canadian from that perspective. I think there's, there's something that has to be done in regards to fixing this problem because, like, it can't go on again because it could potentially just be, like, a, you know, um, yeah. a miserable experience. Uh, yeah. Having it could go hor- Yeah, it could go horribly wrong with someone who has a lot worse intentions. Absolutely. So I think, you know, one of the mandates is that they have to really increase security. And certainly if anyone jumps on stage, uh, regardless of if it looks bad or good on TV, get that person off the stage and, you know, whatever manner you have to. I mean, uh, humanly, of course, but, you know, security is there for a reason. And uh, people like uh, Avril or any other artist who's up on stage presenting an award should not have to put up with that. And there is, there's got to be a way to do it subtly, even for TV, where, you know, it's not like it is at the front of a concert stage. You remember in cartoons, you used to have the big hook? Yeah. <laughs> Bring that back. There you go. As usual, Lou, you've solved all our musical problems. Uh, Lou Molinero with us, instructor with the Harris Institute of Music and Durham College and former Hamilton-based concert promoter. And, of course, uh, let's not forget the St. Hollywood. Lou, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you for inviting me. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. We have talked uh, at length on this show about uh, Chinese influence in Canada, specifically election uh, results and such. New information uh, coming up. Uh, sorry, election, influ- uh, election influence, not results. Nothing has ever changed the results of an election. Let's get that right out there. This is about uh, election interference. Another uh, case of this happening coming forth today. Uh, in regard to the Vancouver uh, Vancouver mayoral race and suspicion around that and Chinese inter, inter, uh, interference. And, you know, we talk a lot about this when it seems when asking questions, uh, the prime minister brings up uh, racism and then wonders why the country is divided. We have talked to these various uh, organizations in the past, and these are Chinese uh, Canadians who have come from China, like every other immigrant, like my mother, your mother, whoever, and have settled here and are now being harassed uh, by the Chinese Communist Party for living in Canada and perhaps speaking out against uh, what is happening back home. We've tried to get more and more people on to talk about this because, you know, as we shine clarity on all of this, it will ease the threats of prejudice and, and, and the feeling that people just don't know what is going on. So let's bring in Chuck Kwan, filmmaker, author, Have You Eaten Yet? Stories from Chinese Restaurants Around the World and co-chair of the Toronto Association for uh, Democracy and China, and most recently has uh, co-authored an article in the National Post, and the headline says it all. Is it? Uh, it is offensive to Canadian uh, to Chinese Canadians. I've screwed it up already. It is offensive to Chinese Canadians to call foreign registry racist. Properly used, the registry uh, the registry will prevent an entire community from being singularly labeled as a threat. And to talk more about all of this. Chuck Kwan is with us now. Chuck, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. 
Good afternoon, Scott. Yes, I'm doing well. It's nice it's, weather right now. It is. It's beautiful. You know, it seems, Chuck, that uh, the headlines have said a certain thing. Now we're starting to hear this side of the story again, perhaps with the with the chat of the Chinese police stations and such. How difficult is it to get this word out of, uh, of what Chinese Canadians are going through and the influence they're feeling from back home? It's uh, it's been two decades since we started raising this issue, and uh, and we are aware that uh, Chinese Canadians or Uyghur Canadians or Tibetan Canadians coming here, uh, far far away from China, yet uh, the tentacles of the Chinese government reach far deeper into the Canadian society. So I think everybody is feeling that intimidation and feeling that harassment. In fact, in 2017, uh, our organization, together with Amnesty International, uh, put out a report documenting all these harassment cases. Uh, We sent it up to RCMP. We heard nothing from them. So I'm so happy now that uh, we finally uh, get the focus and the attention that we needed. Uh, you know, and again, there was reports that started to surface yesterday, uh, or uh, rather last week, of, of of Chinese Canadians who said, just like you did, we've been talking about this for years, and nobody seems to be listening. Now we have police stations in certain mm-hmm. areas. Uh, has that changed the discussion? And what are they used for? How do they threaten or intimidate uh, these Canadians? Well, there are two kinds of uh, so-called police station. One of them is fairly blatantly uh, kind of uh, uh, policing. Uh, and those who set up, uh, I think there were three found in Toronto, uh, one in Vancouver. And and they're the ones that the Chinese government uses to coerce uh, any dissidents or anybody they felt is a criminal uh, to go back to China voluntarily, uh, and the, the the kind of uh, uh, corollary is, of course, that if you don't go back, uh, your your parents will be uh, threatened, and mm. uh, you know all that kind of thing. So, so that's the police station. There are now we now discover a few more in Toronto and two in Montreal uh, that are what they call uh, service organization. So social services, uh, very innocuous names. Uh, they actually have been social services for a long time and they still work at social services. And these are now offering, of course, so, uh, social services to uh, immigrants uh, who may not be able to speak French or English to, to access the other kind of uh, services. So they all come to these places, one in Montreal, one in Brossard. And what happened is that yeah, they get the services. However, all their cell phone, all their data are now all collected by these stations. Hmm. And guess where they are going? They're going back to China. They're going back to the consulate. So in that sense, it's also a very uh, threat to us all because through these data and collection, uh, they can monitor where everyone is, including, you know, even if you change your cell phone, uh, they they will find you. So that's a very dangerous uh, thing to have right now. From your perspective, Chuck, what's the message? What do you want to get out? What do you want to be known? 
Well, we want to let people know that, you know, we're we're clamoring for looking into the election results, as you mentioned, uh, and maybe electoral process. I I would say that that's only 10% of the iceberg. What a lot of people don't see, mm-hmm. uh, the 90% of the iceberg that is below the water, uh, uh, that remains invisible to, especially to those who don't read Chinese. Uh, and, 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 you know, these are things that we are all worried about because they're, they're like a very soft strategic approach to business people, to, yeah. uh, to the academics, and of course, to our elected politicians, uh, including senators, uh, and former ambassadors. So it's, it's, it's very, it's very insidious. Uh, the, they spread that and then, what they do is they get these people to speak on behalf of the Chinese government, defend Chinese uh, government line, like as in saying that there's nothing wrong with the Uyghurs here or in, in Xinjiang, or there is no uh, no no democratic uh, deficit in Hong Kong. You know, all these things are, are, are very, you know, they could be very subtle, but they could really harm the way we understand the world, and and of course, uh, it's a it's a threat uh, to our security and our sovereignty. How did we get to this point? Do you think, Lagrasse, a uh, little bit, uh, uh, you know, like we, they didn't, uh, our government didn't take it seriously, and I'm not just saying this government, but you know, previous governments right. uh, also. So, uh, and because they always had this thing about wow that's all chinese canadian there's nothing to do with mainstream society uh that's their problem they can fight it out themselves so that's a very typical um mm. kind of thinking about any of these ethnic communities be it muslims or afghanistan or or syrians you know so so we want the government to treat us can, like canadians and protect us like canadians don't forget, many of us were born here or have been here for two or three generations. Mm. Uh, none of us are, you know, most, a lot of us are immigrants, but a lot of more of us were born here. We're Canadian or not. Mm-hmm. And yet here is China coming in to at least coerce or at least to buy the goodwill of the Chinese diaspora. And then we get tainted if you know, uh, this is very similar to the Japanese uh, Canadian internment camps. Mm-hmm. When Japan became enemy in the World War II, guess who suffered? The Japanese Canadians who were born here. They had nothing to do with Japan, yet they all get brought into the internment camps because they were treated as enemy aliens. How so do we? something how, that, is, that is very, very threatening we, to us. We only have a few seconds left here, but how do we get to the root of this, Chuck? How do we separate those that are supporting the Chinese Communist Party and those that are like any other Canadian immigrant? Well, how do, be careful with our language. I mean, I would urge you to use China interference instead of Chinese interference. Good point. Thank we, you. Want, we need to separate the country with the people. Right. All right, Chuck Kwan is with us, a filmmaker, author of You Eat and Yet Stories from Chinese Restaurants Around the World, co-chair of the Toronto Association for Democracy and China, and you can read his latest he uh, co-authored in the National Post. Chuck, thanks so much for the time and uh, information. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. 
If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. David Johnson, the former governor, uh, David, uh, David Johnston, the former governor general, is the rapporteur that uh, the prime minister has uh, appointed in order to study whether we need a, another st- another committee to have a public inquiry. Uh, is this enough? Will we get to the bottom of the questions we need to know? We know there's interference. Uh, are we just going to get that confirmed? Or are we going to find out the real questions, like how much did the Prime Minister's office know over the last two elections? Let's bring in Duff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch, and with us now. Duff, thank you for your time. Hope you're well. Yes, thank you. Hope you are as well. So your thoughts on David Johnson's uh, choice as a rapporteur. Uh, will we find out the questions you have, Duff? Well, I think he's been chosen uh, by Trudeau because Harper had appointed Johnston as the uh, governor general. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of gives uh, Trudeau some political cover. Say Checks off that box. Yeah. Um, but David Johnston was chosen by Harper before uh, he was made governor general to set the terms of reference for an inquiry into the Mulroney-Schreiber-Airbus affair scandal. And he um, set the terms of reference in a way that protected Mulroney. And so that's a very serious question on his resume. Uh, He essentially took Airbus and the whole issue of Airbus lobbying and possible influence peddling off the uh, agenda of that public inquiry and that protected someone who Harper had called a mentor, protected Brian Mulroney from having that all looked into. And is he going to do the same thing for Trudeau now? Protect him by recommending a public inquiry that won't look into the questions that would be most troubling and, and uh, possibly embarrassing for Trudeau? That's a big question and I think really is a reason to disqualify him from doing this kind of job. It seems with these inquiries, we're looking for a reaction to it as opposed to what caused it or who knew about it. Well, we'll see. Um, obviously, everyone's causing, calling for an inquiry that looks into uh, the actual causes. Um, and, you know, there's lots of different issues to look into, including what the prime minister knew and when he knew it and what he did about it given that the interventions were mostly in favor of the liberals from all media reports, Mm -hmm. which are based on um, these, uh, uh, according to the sources, actual security agency CSIS reports uh, that whistleblowers are leaking. Um, So, you know, there's uh, lots to look into in the situation and uh, very important that it all be looked into independently and this is the problem with our entire public inquiry system, is the ruling party uh, is the one that gets to decide whether there's an inquiry and gets to choose the inquiry commissioners. And in this case, Trudeau's just kind of trying to put a block ahead of that by choosing his own rapporteur. This person is not independent. Anyone in the media, and unfortunately many do, say, oh, well, this we're going to report that Trudeau said he's going to choose this independent person. Well... Those phrases are contradictory. You don't mm. choosing, and the word independent. The person's yeah, not independent yeah. if it's chosen by the prime minister. They're not yeah, independent. Point. They should never be called independent. They're working on a contract. 
You don't call mm. your contractor independent of you. They're working for you. So that's, that's what David Johnson's doing. And the question is how much he will work for Trudeau versus working in the public interest. So what do you think we will find out here, Duff? I mean, obviously, I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball. But, you, you know, again, I, I'm, you know, I'm feeling the wind coming out of the sails here. Like, well, here we go again. I, I don't know. I mean, look, we have a situation where Trudeau's obviously had a conversation with David Johnston about doing this job. Right? He wouldn't be able to name him unless he'd talked to David Johnston yeah. and said, can you do it? Are you available? So they've had a private conversation. It's another part of lacking independence. Yeah. If someone is investigating something, then those who are being investigated don't get to have a private conversation with them. And what That's will it do on the record and open and all and all recorded, so everyone and, knows what was said? So, and and what would have to have to happen here, Duff, in order for David Johnston to say, you know what, uh, I can't cover this. We need a public inquirer inquiry. What would like what would need to happen in order to set that off? He would have to act with integrity, <laughs> with an independent mind, even though he's working for the prime minister yeah. and serving at the pleasure of the prime minister in doing so. He has no independence. He has no investigative powers. He, his power, what he's doing, is not based in any law. He's working on a contract for the prime minister. That is not an independent person. That is not an empowered person. He can't look into anything. He can't report on anything. He can't subpoena witnesses. He can't subpoena evidence. The best thing he can do is say, I am not independent. I am working on contract from the prime minister. I have no investigative powers. I'm not going to be able to get to the bottom of anything. And so this is a charade. And I have taken the job, but I am going to give the money back to charity. It is all a charade. It should stop now. And either MPs on a committee given we have a, a uh, minority parliament, the opposition parties control the committee, MPs on a committee should be given full security clearance and should be holding hearings. Some of it may be, be behind closed doors. Some of the evidence may not be made fully public because of national security issues. But they should be able to look at it all, all the evidence, get everything in front of them, subpoena everybody, have everyone testify, and do a report or... All the party leaders should choose an inquiry commissioner or commissioners, and they should do that. All right, Duff Conagher with us, co-founder of Democracy Watch. Uh, David Johnson being appointed the rapporteur and brings up a very valid point. How is it independent if the prime minister chooses? Uh, Duff, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. My pleasure. Take care. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right, by Election Day in the Hammer today, if you live in Hamilton Center, uh, exercise your right to vote. You've got until 9 o'clock tonight to do so to talk more about all of this. And what usually is a pretty sleepy show, but is getting lots of attention uh, this time around, Henry Jasek with us, professor of political science at McMaster University and with us now. Henry, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I'm well, thank you. As I mentioned, Henry, these are usually pretty sleepy affairs. Nobody even realizes they're going on half the time. Uh, this one seems to have drawn more attention to itself. Well, certainly, I mean, people outside, maybe the writing may. Uh, I still expect we'll have a, a low number of turnouts. And I think that what's, what's striking here is we, the, both the PCs and the NDP basically don't want to talk to the media and to, yeah. and to, um, 
answer questions about uh, you know their positions and uh, what they're going to do going forward. And it's and you know that's something that actually may drive down the vote in uh, this particular writing. I was thinking, and you know, you bring up a valid point. I mean, everybody's chatting, but those in the ward, what are they going to do? Mm. Uh, that being said, with the extra publicity that this has gained, is that, you you know, because many are saying, I keep reading, oh, low voter turnout, low voter turnout. But with the publicity it's getting, could it go the opposite way? Yeah, it may. I mean, it may. Maybe we are missing that. But I, I still think it's going to be a low turnout. Uh Personally, I mean, I think the, you know, when, when people don't, when the local candidates, the important local candidates from important political parties don't, you know, don't, uh, you know, meet with the press, answer their questions, don't go to meetings and answer the questions of the citizens, um, a lot of people just say, you know, why bother, you know, <laughs> you know, they won't even talk to us. Uh, you, you can maybe see that uh, with the incumbent who is normally favored, but are you surprised, uh, like, for example, the PCs aren't? I mean, they're not, you know, obviously this is, you know, historically an NDP uh, riding and such, but, yeah, you would think if you're trying to make a dent, you're going to make as much noise as you can. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, they should. I mean, parties should you should select people who can talk. I mean, who can talk to constituents, talk to the press, and explain why they're running. I mean, that doesn't seem to be all that you know complicated to me. But uh, you know, in this case, we've got two two candidates who have I don't think have basically you know done the job a candidate should be doing, namely informing people about why they're running and uh, they should be an MPP. And we should mention we tried to get all four of the candidates on. Uh, two came on, meaning the Greens and the Liberals. Mm. Uh, PCs never returned our call. Uh, NDP did book on the Friday, but then canceled a half an hour before uh, the interview on the Monday, the day of the interview. So two yes, uh, one sort of, and then one not at all, which, you know, again, is kind of odd considering you would think those running in a by-election would want this kind of publicity because normally people don't pay attention to it. That's right. I mean, it is important. I mean, I, I sometimes get upset when you hear I hear people say, well, the uh, the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the party, the uh, people are all wrong. The voters are all wrong because they're they don't take the uh, vote seriously. They stay home. They don't get informed. Well, sometimes I say, listen, sometimes it's the fault of the parties. Um, and they also blame the media, and quite frankly, uh, you know, the media has a, a job to do, and, and they're willing to do it, is to basically have these people appear before them and explain, you know, whatever, you know, what, why they're running, why the candidates are running for office. Uh, this, I, th- I think, I think the blame here is has to go right on on those uh, those two parties. They should have nominated some people who who can are willing to talk to to the public and talk to the media. Uh, do you think we could see a split vote situation here, considering the controversies that have come up? Well, I think you could. I mean, I think the NDP, you know, um, it's been a very controversial campaign. And one sort of new thing that came out lately that people are talking about uh, is that uh, Andrea Horvath hasn't said anything about this election. And there are stories going around that uh, when the NDP candidate wanted to run uh Previously for the NDP, while uh, Andrea was still a leader of the party, she basically vetoed, uh, you know, the uh, the NDP candidate from ever at that point from being a candidate. But then she leaves, and boom, she get, gets the nomination to replace her. And 
I'm sure, I mean, if the stories are true, I'm sure she's not very happy today. Uh, are you surprised none of the leaders have really supported the candidates? I know Merritt Stiles did speak up and when questions were, were uh, that came forward, and she said, you know, big umbrella, big tent, all those typical things. Are you surprised we didn't hear from more of the leaders in all of this? Yeah, I think we did. I mean, uh, we haven't seen uh, the, pre- you know, the premier come down and support his person. No. I assume he really thinks this guy's a, a great guy. I mean, it's, and for, from what we can tell, I mean, he's been a very good policeman, and that's fine. But but the, being an MPP is different, and uh, you know, having him uh, explain why he wants to run, and having the premier come down, and maybe also helping him out, and saying why, what sort of. Uh, contribution he'll make to the uh, to the uh, governing party they he, he should say that and come down and uh, yeah so it's um, it, you know and I don't think yeah not much we haven't had too much uh, attention paid by the Green Party at least the leader although he you know be, I, I think he's been down here once at least but anyways uh, it's not a riding that you normally would think would uh, have a lot of support for the Green Party it's uh, there's certain places in Ontario where people get excited about the Greens but I think uh, Hamilton Center is not one of those places and again, I understand this is a by-election, but it is Hamilton Center. It does have a bit more notoriety because it was Andrew Horvath's old suite, uh, old mm-hmm. uh, seat rather. But I, I am surprised that we didn't see more leadership participation from the party leaders, uh, including the premier and everybody all the way down the the list uh, involved. But it was like pretty much, no, you guys are duking it out. We're staying out of it. Yeah, you know, I uh, I, I think there's been a tendency over the last ten years or so for the leaders not to you know, not to get involved in these things and not make themselves nearly as uh, available uh, Mm. uh, to the press, to meetings, uh, going around the province. Uh, I can remember, uh, you know, uh, uh, more than one time when Dalton McKinty would come down to your radio station and uh, be interviewed by one of the the reporters, one of your colleagues. And uh, he would have, you know, he'd have regular days where he'd go around the province and, uh, Basically, uh, say, you know, sort of answer questions and say, well, you know, and defend himself while he was premier. And uh, but we have, you know, really, I think since 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 that time, it seems like we don't we don't get much exposure, um, you know, in in open meetings to the uh, you know to the public and to reporters. And if we go back even further, I can remember, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, where, you know, premiers would come in and they would have a meeting at uh, maybe uh, some place like a, a high school auditorium. They'd have a little talk and then they would have uh, a, a, a social time where you could walk around, you could meet, talk to the premier, you could talk to the ministers who were coming around. And you had a lot of, con- you know, connection. And uh, that that encouraged, you know, the, the, the interest of people. And it was really a social event, a very important social event. We don't get that anymore. And uh, I think that's I think that's a real problem. That's a good point. Uh, Henry Jasek with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. By election day in Hamilton, polls open till nine tonight. If you are eligible, exercise your right. Henry, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Okay, same to you, Scott. Bye bye. This is coming from the Apple News feed. A woman facing criminal charges after a topless protest at the Juno Awards said she isn't upset about Avril Lavigne swearing at her and demanding she get off stage. She's lucky Avril didn't pop her one. Uh, Casey Hatherly, who goes under the name of whatever, uh, and went on the stage and la 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 la. I was really hoping that Avril would be, uh, punk rock and anti-establishment maybe and hand me the mic and let me say my thing. 
I'm totally not upset about anything that went down. Just tell Avril I'm not mad. This is a 37-year-old woman, not a 17-year-old kid. It amazes me to no end, and again, I understand the cause, I understand the protest, I understand everything, but it amazes me to no end that this person is so arrogant that they think that Avril will hand her a microphone and give her the network time on stage because she's there bouncing around in front of her. And I'm sorry, it's not a streaker. It's not even a protester. It's a stripper. It's a lap dance. It's a table dance. That's what I saw. A protester or a streaker doesn't stay on stage for 30 seconds until someone eventually, you know, anyway. I, I just, I find it, and again, you know, I get it, and it's hilarious, and it's put the thing on the map, and you know, whatever. But it, it amazes me that people, that's like saying that Kanye uh, when he interrupted Taylor Swift, the, well, he was just doing his, no, he was rude and interrupted someone. Just saying. All right. Uh, what happens to your identity when you die? <laughs> and the reason, I, you know, uh, this has come up a couple of times, uh, the financial show this weekend, planning your financial future. Uh, we talked about it. We were talking about um, what happens to your finances when you die? Like, where does it go? Who, 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 you know, and if you don't do anything, what happens? Well, the same thing happens with your internet identity. What happens to it? Or the same questions, rather. Where does it go? And I saw a, a, a newscast where a funeral director and, or, and I guess it's quite common are, are asked when someone passes away, the family members come in and they, I got the phone, but we can't get in. Can you give me an, a, a fingerprint or anything to open it up and release this information? And it's very bizarre when you stop to think about it. All of these issues that have been created thanks to technology so when in doubt you call carmy levy technology analyst and journalist whether it's life or death carmy how are you today i hope you're well well i am great scott but i admit i am a little creeped out by this story because it you know kind of freaks me out to think what happens to my phone after i die and who accesses it <laughs> so let's yeah. talk about the funeral director first thing so so and, and correct me if i'm wrong here um so uh, the person passes away they can't get into anything so they go with the phone and they try to get it opened again first of all i guess this must be legal is it possible do you cannot be done do you need heat in the finger how does that work carmy well, a lot of it depends on what your relationship to the deceased was. If you are the official executor of the estate and you need to get into the phone to uh, exercise your duties as executor, then yeah, it's kind of within the, again, it's, it would seemingly be within the realm of legality, but you know, the, the guidance to funeral directors is, you might want to call a lawyer first to make sure that not just any, you know, Tom, Dick or Harry is, you know, descending on the funeral home and saying, hey, you know, <laughs> let me get access to the body so I can try to facial wreck them into the device. So, yes, it's it's a it's a thready legal area. But if you're an executor, digital assets and regular assets are part of your purview. You're going to have to gain access to them one way or the other. And. And this is new ground. We're going to have to figure it out. The problem, Scott, is, is that many families aren't thinking about that before people die. And, you know, we think about, gee, well, I'm going to have to name an executor and then I'm going to have to write a list of all my assets in my house, my car, my clothes, my stuff, whatever. But nobody thinks about digital assets in the same way. No one thinks, OK, I've got 
I've got to give them access to my phone and give them my usernames and my passwords and my pins. And I have to tell them which apps they need to focus on. And I have to tell them which, what data is really important. What photos do I want saved? We're not having those conversations. And as a result, that's why people are showing up at the funeral home saying, I can't get into their phone and I don't know what to do. Can, can I, can I have access to the body so I can get their fingerprint? Like it's, it's, it's grisly and it's sickening. And honestly, it keeps me up at night, but all this could be avoided if we just had conversations when, you know, maybe they're uncomfortable, but if we had those conversations, we could avoid this from happening in the future. This is just a piece of your will or should be a piece of your will. This is just pertinent information. Like all that stuff you just said, it should be, should, is that the place to put it? Is that, you know, so they can get access to it. Yeah. And as you're drawing up your will, or if you've already drawn one up and you're looking at it, I'm sure most of us don't have a digital section, right? What what are my digital assets in addition to my regular real assets, physical assets? Uh, and so there needs to be a digital plan alongside the rest of the plan. And if there isn't, then you really got to start thinking about it. Think about the things. So for example, we used to do banking using paper. Well, we really don't do that anymore. So, you know, what apps am I using for my banking? Uh, what institutions am I working with? How am I getting into those apps? That should be in, in the, in the plan as well. We do have to be careful though, because a will will eventually become a publicly, like when, when the, uh, when the estate is good point, yeah, that will will become a publicly facing document. So don't go putting usernames and passwords in there. Make sure they're somewhere right. else. However, make sure that you have guidance for the executor so they know where to go to get that information. So plan it carefully if you're not sure. Do seek legal advice for it, but do make sure that that is within scope because when it isn't in scope, that's when being the executor of an estate goes from being you know reasonably difficult and complex to impossibly difficult and complex and i certainly wouldn't want to leave that to you know my the rest of my family it's already hard enough on them as it is all right your personal information bank accounts whatever uh passwords that's one thing what about social media pages whether it's an instagram whether it's uh facebook whatever what you're gone you're done what happens to those if someone like does someone have to physically contact them to close them down what do you do Well, the good news here is that most of the social media platforms have already planned for this. And in fact, you can designate someone, uh, for example, with with Facebook and Instagram, uh, who will take over your account um, in the event that you pass away. And then they can turn it into a memorial or a legacy account. So it doesn't just go, it doesn't just sit there like a zombie account spitting out memory requests every year. Uh, that make everyone else feel bad, but they, it, it actually allows, for example, your executor or a designate, someone else to actually manage the account after you've passed. But again, just like all the other digital assets, put this in that list and treat it as something that you need to take care of before you die. Because if you don't, it's just going to sit there and nothing's going to happen to it, but it's another point of pain for the rest of the family. And it is another point of security exposure for anyone who comes after you because that social media account becomes a vector for future cyber cyber attacks. And if you can't access it as an ancestor, well, then that's another problem that your family is going to have to deal with. So, um, uh, uh, with the social media pages, um, and it, it, someone has to physically, um, shut that down. Do most of the people who pass away, leave it up in some sort of memorial or do they just tear it, they just take it down and shut it off. 
Well, most people aren't planning at all. And so in many cases, the account yeah. just sits there they like stay nobody up. logs into it. It doesn't change. And and uh, and unless you found out from some other source, you wouldn't even know that that person had died, which, you know, is, you know, kind of, you know, I don't think anybody wants that. But it's only no. recently that these legacy or you know, arrangements have been put in place. But they're there. It's up to us to take advantage of them. So we may want to go into the settings if we are doing end of life planning. Go into the settings of all your social media apps and services and look look for them and figure out how to use them. And if you're not sure, ask your grandkids. They know that stuff. Carmi, another company for you. Tech Wills, get her done. Uh, put it all in one convenient, easily place. I can't believe it, but it's true. It, it, you, you need a Tech Will theoretically, don't you? You really do. And, you know, there's a there's a, a service actually founded by a friend of mine and her husband it's called Willful. And they're getting a, a lot of really positive press across the country these days because they do incorporate. Uh, they do recommend incorporating, you know, this kind of thinking as you plan your mm. will. Um, and, you know, I think we owe it to ourselves. And, and frankly, we owe it to those who will be there after us uh, because it's hard enough as it is. If we sort of plan in advance and make sure that they have access to all those assets, we prevent them from having to scramble digitally. You know, all we know, we know how difficult it is for us to get into one account when we don't have the password. Imagine if that isn't even your account or your device and you've got to do that mm. for every app of someone in your family. It is a Herculean task on top of something that's already difficult enough to begin with. Another angle of our technological world. Carmi Levy with us, technology analyst and journalist. You have something done with your internet. I, I, attack well, for lack of a better phrase. Carmi, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks so much, Scott. You too. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up after uh, the 6 o'clock news. You can also read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He is with us now. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Flamatic. There's your last word. Flamatic. Flamatic? Why not? It's just a word, and it could be used last. <laughs> is this flam or phlegm attic? No, it's not an attic. You're not a phlegm addict. Because oh, after a cold, I've, I've felt a little phlegmatic. Yeah, well, we, we all have, have we not? Um, yeah. Is phlegmatic a word? Phlegmatic? Now I can't even say it. Yes, it is. You can look it up. It's, it's, um, it's a no, word. I meant, I meant phlegmatic. Is it a word? Could be. What does phlegmatic mean? Um, you know what? Look it up. It's, 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 I, I can use it in a, I can, it's one of those words that I can use in a I had sentence. I had a teacher like that. Look it up. That's because well, you don't know, do you, Teach? All right, let's move on. Uh, By-election in Hamilton today, 9 o'clock, the polls close. If you live in Hamilton Center, get out and exercise your right. Scott, we've been hearing an awful lot about a low vo uh, voter turnout. However, this uh, normally sleepy by-election has, uh, has become quite public and has gotten quite a bit of coverage. It's also a nice day out there. Do you think there will be a low voter turnout or a higher voter turnout? Yeah, you could say this election has been phlegmatic which is like it's yes. about the disposition of it. Um, no, it has not been, actually. Um, I, you and I talked about this the other day. I, I you know, I don't know. I, I, I said that prior to the controversy, if we want to call it that, I would have said this was going to be a pathetically low turnout, like an yeah. unbelievably low turnout where some of the candidates spouses and parents may not have even cast a ballot because they were so bored by this. Mm. Um now, I don't know. I mean, March break doesn't help. I, I, I'm not really sure why it had to be on March break. Um, and, you know, I do think that the fact that by and large for a long time, this riding has been a shoe in for the NDP may deter some people. 
Um, but I don't know. We're, we're going to find out if the, um, you know, Scott, it's an interesting thing because people always say, they, we hear this, you, I know you hear this, I hear this, we all hear this all the time. We don't want elections to get into the mud. We don't, we want our candidates, no. we want our candidates to be above all this. We want it to just be about the issues. You know what? If this one had just been about the issues, seven people would have voted. It's only yeah, when point. this thing went into the mud that any interest was generated for this thing. So the mm-hmm. next time someone says, oh, I don't want any of this stuff that's taking it down and fighting dirty. Yes, you do. You may not admit it. And you may truly believe you don't. But the fact is that stuff draws eyeballs. And in this case, it may have actually helped with the democratic process, regardless of who wins. Whether it's mud or clean water, people still want to know what's going on. Well, do they, though? Like, again, was any uh, – and I know that when I say anybody, I mean, it's it's hyperbole because sure, somewhere. But was anybody really paying attention to this election before the last week or two when this whole thing about anti-Semitism and Twitter and all this stuff came out? Was anybody really into this? And I would answer the the, – no. No, nobody really cared. Do you think that's because they were there was a lack of information? They weren't investigating it, or partially. Uh, partially. Like, I mean, because because none of this is really new. All, all the controversy's been around for a long time. It's just now it's sort of hit the fan, so to speak. Uh, so it's always been there. It's just now people are paying attention to it because the person is running for you know a seat, a prominent seat. Well, th- th- there is that for sure. I mean, uh, one thing about provincial or federal by elections is that first of all we don't have any superstar candidates in this one I know so no. I know the NDP talked someone talked about Sarah Jama being a star candidate and it's like yeah you know what outside of this area where she's received some coverage for some stuff she, nobody would have known who she was she's not a star candidate none of them are but beyond that by elections nothing that happens in this is going to change anything at Queen's Park. It doesn't change the balance of power. We know who's going to be the government tomorrow or after this is done. So yeah. it's really hard to get all kinds of excitement about something that ultimately, except for the people in this riding, who already have one of the lowest voter turnouts traditionally of anywhere else, it, it, it's really hard to get excited about a riding that essentially means nothing in the grand scheme of things for this term of government. Are you surprised that none of the leaders, provincial leaders, came out to support any of them in any way? Okay, so I got a question for you. Did I miss something? Have you heard anything from Andrea Horvath on this? No, no. no. Now, maybe I missed something, and and I apologize if she spoke. Merritt Stiles did comment when this controversy came up and just said, you know, that we got the big umbrella and defends the rights and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I expected I thought I would I would have expected Andrea Horvath to say something simply because she had been in that riding for so long. Yeah, you gotta stay out of it though if you're but, the mayor but, at that point, no. Okay, but yes, I would say yes. That would be my inclination to say yes. But Scott, look how many of our city councilors stick their nose into provincial and federal yeah, politics. But if people, you know what? If Andrea had spoken up on this, people would have slagged her for it. So yeah, I, I can no, see her I not doing it. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I, I think she's made the right move by not doing this. I'm simply yeah. saying considering how many of our politicians have have stumped for or knocked on doors for or worked for politicians provincially or federally, it wouldn't have surprised yeah. me if she had mm-hmm. done this. But I think she made the right choice. More coming up on the Scott Radley Show after the 6 o'clock news. You can read them in your Hamilton Spectator. Have yourself a great show, Scott. Thanks for joining us. No problem. You too. 
Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customers. I hope we got one or make one up. Uh, We leave it to you to have... The last word. Will Weber here. I'm hijacking the last word. If you live in Hamilton Center and you haven't voted already, come on, get out there, vote. I don't care if you vote for the new blue, the, the PCs, or uh, NDP, green. What? Just vote already. Come on. Be phlegmatic about it.